You are listening to The Current Daily, a new podcast keeping us up to date with the latest news for UC San Diego's Information Technology Services Department. My name is Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, May 13th. We're proud to announce another first here at The Current Daily, our first celebrity guest. UC San Diego music professor Anthony Davis recently won the Pulitzer Prize in Music Composition for his opera, The Central Park Five. Now, you're probably most familiar with the Pulitzer Prize for reporting and photography, but there is an entire letters, drama, and music category. Specifically, the Pulitzer Prize in Music Composition is for a distinguished musical composition by an American that had its first performance or recording in the United States during the year. Davis now stands alongside past music winners such as Wynton Marsalis and Kendrick Lamar. Davis has a lot to say, so let's get right into it. This is Mark Herzberger. I'm joined by Anthony Davis. He's a distinguished professor of music at UC San Diego. Anthony, welcome to the pod. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're here to talk a little. You have been recently been awarded a Pulitzer Prize for music composition. How did you learn of the award and what was your reaction when you learned about it? Well, actually, it was, I was in the middle of a faculty meeting. Uh, that was a Zoom faculty meeting with the music department. And my phone rang, and I th- thought I'd just grab the phone and say that I'm busy, and I, I'll call them back. And I noticed that the phone call was from New York. So I picked it up, and, uh, and uh, Franco Terry from New Music USA called me and said, uh, congratulations. So I said, for what? And then he said, well, you won the Pulitzer Prize for music this year. So I said, wow. I, I said, I didn't know. I said, so I called up my wife and said, you know, hey, Cindy, I won the Pulitzer Prize. And I didn't realize that I had the mic on, but the whole music department heard what I heard, <laughs> which was funny. So my colleague, Stephen Schick, said uh, the best uh, Zoom bomb ever. <laughs> because, uh, you know, so that was kind of a funny way to find out. Sounds cool. And that, that's a Zoom bomb we won't have to report to our uh, IT security office. <laughs> no. no. Okay. The, the work for which you've been honored is an opera. It's called The Central Park Five. What is it about? Well, The Central Park Five, there was a case that occurred in 1989 in New York City. A young woman, Patricia Miele, was, was assaulted and raped in the park and was in a coma. And they actually arrested a number of African-American and uh, Hispanic youth, including the, f- the five who were basically eventually were charged with a crime. So the five young men who were 15 and 16 years old were charged with a crime and were eventually convicted. And four of them were, went to a youth detention center for seven years. And the fifth one was in prison for 13 years. Brief outline of the story, eventually another person confessed to the crime. They had in custody for other, who was a serial rapist and murdered other women, and was actually uh, confessed to the crime. And they, they actually had no DNA evidence or any kind of blood evidence on the five. So the five were eventually exonerated. And also involved in it uh, during the time Donald Trump placed a full-page ad calling for the reinstitution of death penalty in New York and was part of the whole movement of mostly white New Yorkers who were appalled by what happened and wanted to see a stiff prosecution for the five. 
And he still has not admitted that, that they were innocent as late as October uh, last year or 2016. And that was really the beginning of Trump's political career, exploiting the racial divide and the racial tensions and for his own political, personal political benefit. So Donald Trump also appears in the opera. What inspired you to take this story and turn it into an opera? Initially, what happened is uh, Kevin Maynard runs the trilogy opera in Newark, New Jersey, called me and said that he had a, a libretto by Richard Wesley about the Central Park Five, but I'd be willing to read it and with the idea that I recommend a composer to do it. And so I read the libretto, and so I called him back and said, I'd like to do it. <laughs> and what I was excited about is that it's a lot of uh, the genesis of Black Lives Matter really comes out of this. You know, Yusef Salam's mother, Sharon Salam, was very involved in trying to free them after they went to prison and was involved in this whole, whole idea of social justice and innocence project. I felt that that was a very important message and at this point. And also, in the original libretto, Donald Trump didn't appear in the original libretto. So I, I insisted that, it, that Donald Trump be included in it. Because it, to me, it's important to show also the, the backlash to the civil rights struggle, et cetera, and, and what that represented, and also the danger of it. The danger of, you know, when a megalomaniac like Donald Trump gets in that kind of position. And when an idea like this comes to you, what is your process in general from taking an idea and turning it into a full-fledged opera? Well, it starts with a libretto, you know, working on a libretto and editing the, the text so that it's in some kind of form that I feel that it can work musically. And then as I start to set to work on the music, at first I think about large-scale things, about how what I think the shape of the piece will be and what material I might use in the whole opera. And then I start from the beginning and I work to the end. <laughs> and that, that, was a, that was an interesting process. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, it went through several edits. Also, we moved scenes around, things were edited and, and it went through a whole transposition. Maybe seen when we did it at Long Beach, when finally we did the final version at, at Long Beach, it was, it was quite different from what was you know, initially done. I try to make some big decisions, you know, when I look at different scenes, like, for example, when the five go into the park, that fateful day when the, the crime was committed. Uh, so I was thinking about their kind of the exhilaration, of the freedom of going into the park and running around and doing crazy stuff. But at the same time, this ominous thing that something that was happening and that would, in effect, end their childhood and their innocence. And so that was something I was very interested in capturing in the, in the opera. And then the interrogation scenes, that's something I had to really think about in terms of how to portray, to do an interrogation scenes musically and how to telescope hours. Because the whole idea is they were interrogated by you know, 36 hours without any water or food. So to how, how, how they could coerce confessions from the boys for something that they actually didn't commit. So I tried to I tried to, to show that, you know, the kind of relentless prodding and interrogation by each of them as they go from cell to cell, from from one to another, and then also trying to get them to implicate each other. That was part of my strategy in it, working with that scene. And one of the things I decided was to make it really rhythmic. That would be, be kind of this rhythmic thing underneath what was going on. So they're kind of compelled from one cell to another as, a, as a, the DA and the mask figure interrogate the five. One thing interesting part of the opera was uh, Richard Wesley created a character called the mask. And the mask appears, he can be a reporter, he can be a policeman, a lawyer, but also he kind of represents kind of the whole racial animus 
the idea of race hatred and bigotry. And yet also the mass represents almost like the Renaissance figure of the mass. You know, in Renaissance opera, there was a, 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 often there's a mass character. So the mass character to me was quite fascinating to employ him as this every man of racial animus was very interesting. What does a, a modern opera sound like and look like? And what's the difference between opera and like a Broadway style musical? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I think, uh, well, for one thing, so there's so many different conceptions of opera now. I mean, a modern opera, there's not one way a modern opera sounds. For me, one thing I, I'm interested in is I, I hardly have any spoken speech at all. So there's not that moment between music and speech. I mean, it's not what was what in German, what they call singspiel, <laughs> I, I don't, which is which is the big kind of the basis for the Broadway, most Broadway musicals. There, there are exceptions to that, too. I think one of the things is the idea of, of music being through composed. There's just a so line of, there's music, and that goes through the whole piece. And also music compels the drama in opera. That, that when, when, I'm, when you write the music, you're actually, you're doing the drama piece in the music. In a way that in a musical, often the drama happens in the book. And the music kind of shows those moments of stasis, moments of, stillness of things that capture different moments with characters and reveals character and reveals all kinds of things. But for me, I like the music is also part of, for me, is part of the action. The music in a way is the narrative. So that's why one of the reasons I'm drawn to the to more to opera than I have been to the musical. I mean, there, I, there are exceptions to this in terms of musicals. I mean, some there are some musicals that are, are more music driven, like Sweeney Todd, for example, or Steve, some of Stephen Sondheim's work or or West Side Story. I've been always interested in, in rhythm. I think that comes from in the beginning when I start, first started writing opera with Malcolm X. The influence of African-American music on me, of course, and also the influence, ironically, of Balinese and Javanese music, because thinking about how rhythm compels drama. That's very interesting to me. Speaking of your origins, so apparently in your early days, you turned down an offer to be part of The Grateful Dead, and then somehow pivoted to opera. So how did that come about? <laughs> well, how would that took a long time? I mean, no, when I was, uh, I was living in Iowa City, Iowa at the time, my father was teaching at the University of Iowa and the Grateful Dead came to perform at uh, the University of Iowa. This was during the summer. I had a band playing kind of fusion jazz, kind of Miles Davis inspired post bitches brew music. And members of the band came down to hear us play. I didn't, I didn't know they were going to come here, so they came to hear us play. And then they came came after the set. They came up to me, and, and, they, and they said, well, would, would you be interested in going on the road with us? Because uh, <laughs> I, a little later, I found out their piano player OD'd. But, <laughs> but, and I was, those days I had this huge afro, so I was kind of, I could have looked the part, I think. And so I actually, so I went to my parents, talk about it and I was still going to Yale at the time at the I was uh, an undergrad so they said I had to finish my degrees <laughs> blame the parents huh no no it was fine it's probably saved my life because you know every piano player in the band don't always know indeed you know so, so I'm glad I'm not I probably saved my life though but anyway um so I was uh so I went I went back to Yale and and I think you know I it's been an odyssey for me I, I sort of established myself as I was very interested in, you know, jazz was very important to me and playing creative music. And so I, uh, 
I developed as an improviser and composer first. And then I always was interested in opera. I've been interested in the idea of opera since I was, I think, 16, 15, 16, when I first thought about, you know, the idea of doing an opera eventually. So something that was in the back of my mind. I wanted to ask you this. So you, you do what you do in the music field, and I, I'm led to believe or understand your, your wife is an opera singer, but right. your, your, your son plays professional baseball. So how did that happen? <laughs> well, he, he was, it was interesting because we started, you know, with T-ball, you know, here in San Diego. And I noticed that he was really gifted at it. I mean, there were two people who could throw and catch and hit on the T-ball team when they first started, his friend, his friend Morgan and Jonah. And so they had to alternate being shortstop and first baseman because they're the only people who could catch and throw and do the whole thing. So I, knew, I said, wow. And then when, when he went to Little League, when he was a little bit older, you know, he led the league in home runs. I think they had 12 home runs for the season. He had 10. <laughs> and he always was hitting and he was a pitcher. Also, one of the best pitchers. So then um, we sort of get involved in travel ball, travel baseball, but first with the San Diego Stars. That was great because you got to play, and they go to Florida to play and go to Cooperstown and played and, and did all those things. And, and there are a number of professional players from that team who are <laughs> in, the, in the minors now, you know. And then he played for the San Diego Show, which was uh, another uh, great, tra great travel team. And they actually won the... Uh, World Series and when he was 14 in Atlanta, the, they won the, the whole, for their whole age group. So that was, that was kind of exciting. All those players are, he's been friends of my, my sons for years and, and they still keep up. And some of them are, pro, are, 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 a number of them are pros. I think he, with the Pirates organization, how is he doing uh, not having the season? So well, far? it's hard. I mean, he, he, he drove home from Bradenton, Florida, in March when they suspended the season. He's been working out diligently. He has a whole regimen that he has. One day does he runs up hills. Another day he lifts weights. And, and then he has made a, a batting cage in our backyard. So he has a batting cage. And he hit. I, he hits. And then he's... So he's working hard still and does stretches and exercises. And the Pirates gave him a whole list of extra things to do. So that's that's been great. You know, so he's been... He's been staying in shape, keeping it together, and hopefully they're talking about coming back by the end of June. That's very cool, and I can tell you that the whole uh, best player at short and first, that also applies to adult co-ed softball, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so to round it out, with the Pulitzer Prize recognition, what, what does that do for the Central Park Five in terms of it, its exposure and its future, and then for future projects for you in particular? Well, hopefully it will help really, you know, get secure some new productions of the opera because we'd like to see it, you know, tour around the, the States, you know, particularly do a production in New York. That may be a long way off from the COVID thing, and now nothing's happening, you know. It's, uh, there's no public performances, which is crazy. I mean, when you think about it, you know, like if you asked me a year ago, would there be a period of time when there was not no public performance of anything? I think we have to wait for the the end of this crisis, you know. And I'd like to see uh, the opera done in Europe as well. Um, I have plans for other projects, opera projects I was going to do. They were all canceled <laughs> after. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm hopeful that I, I'm just getting commissioned to do a video opera that I'm going to do 
that's going to be then the intent would be to do it to be so that people can you know you can look at it on, your, on the laptop or the etc. So I hopefully that that'll happen during the summer. I'll work on that. I have other projects I want to do. I'm doing a, I have an opera called The Darkest Light in the Heart. It's about uh, the Dylan Roof shootings and Mother Emanuel Church from the perspective of the woman who forgave Dylan Roof. Mm-hmm. And then I have another opera about the Tulsa race massacre called uh, Greenwood 1921. And that occurred, that's the 100th anniversary is going to be next year of the massacre. Uh, and they just found uh, a whole, uh, two, two, two different places where there were, there were unmarked graves of other people who were, were killed in the race massacre. So I, I like to bring to light a lot of these incidents that show what's going on in, in terms of race in America. You know, and that's been a, a big theme in my office from the first opera I did, X, Lifetimes of Malcolm X. So that's been something I've, I've always been a big concern. Well, on behalf of IT Services at UC San Diego, congratulations on the opera and the Pulitzer. Oh, thank you. Hope we can see it here in town or in L.A. if we ever get back to normal. Yes, <laughs> that would be great. Okay, well, no, thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, thanks so much. Do you like what you're hearing on this podcast? Please let a fellow IT services staff member know so they don't miss out. Also, if you want to be notified as soon as the podcast is posted, watch the podcast page on The Current. If you don't know how to do that, instructions for watching a page are posted there. Most importantly, if you have something to share or an idea for me to include here, you can submit it to the email its-podcast at UCSD. If you join me on Zoom, you could actually be on the podcast. Again, don't be shy. We want your voices here. This is a podcast not only for ITS, but by ITS to help keep us informed and connected. And don't forget, we are now available on SoundCloud, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Links to our profiles are still on the ITS Podcast Collab page. It has never been easier, so subscribe today. And that is it for today. Remember to listen to the next episode of The Current Daily.